you're generous? Would your family say that you're generous? Most importantly, would God say that you're generous? Now, generosity, I, I get. Now, let's, let's just give a quick, quick definition here from uh, Webster's. That is liberal and giving, open-handed, abundant, and ample portions. I know generosity can be kind of a, a different thing in different families. Uh, example between Carrie and I. For my mom to be generous, it means, hey, let's, let's get in the car, I'll take you out to dinner. For Carrie's mom, it was, I'm going to come alongside you and clean your house. So generous in service, right? Um, today's passage, we're talking about more so along the lines of financial giving. But let me say this. If you're a follower of Christ, if you are a child of the living God, I think He wants to grow you and grow me in the character trait of generosity. Especially toward His kingdom his people, his body. And God says in this same letter of 2 Corinthians, we're going to chapter 9, that God loves a cheerful giver. Maybe you hate that statement. I don't know. God loves a cheerful giver. That, does that mean we can buy God off? No, it's not a bribe. It means he loves that attitude of generosity towards his kingdom and towards others. Now let me give a disclaimer here right now. We are not in the midst of a capital campaign. I'm not trying to fleece the flock. I'm not trying to tell you that God will kill me if we don't raise a certain amount of money or any other abuses that have happened in the past. That's not my purpose here. My purpose here is we are in a study through the letter of 2 Corinthians and we're in chapter 8 right now. And this is what comes up. This is the issue that God wants to bring to our attention right now in this time in history. And there are some timeless truths here. First of all, as we look to Christ to meet our needs, it's oftentimes that the body of Christ in one portion meets the need of another portion of the body of Christ. And we'll see that when we get to the end of this passage, especially but number two, individually especially, God is looking to establish in us right priorities. Right priorities. Because the world is so full of wrong priorities, right? These are the priorities in succession. Worship God. Worship God. Two, love people. People who are made in the image of God for whom Christ died. And number three, manage things. Things which, yes, God gives us to live and even enjoy, but they're going to pass away. So in succession, worship God, love people, and manage things. Because when we get those things out of order, that's when things get messed up. If we worship people, or we love things, or try and manage God, we start getting in trouble. God is trying to order our priorities. That's why our Heavenly Father calls us to generosity. That we might be like Him, being more generous, and that we might worship Him first, love people, and manage things. So before we dive in in earnest, let me pray for us, okay? Lord, I thank You for this good Word. I pray that 
as we're dealing with the sticky issue of money. I pray that we would see that this is for our good, and uh, I pray that we would see this not as you trying to fleece us, or this church even trying to fleece us, but indeed, uh, you give us an opportunity to participate in your eternal purposes. So Lord, would you do a work in our hearts, so you help us to see what you have to say to us, and help us to receive it and apply it with all generosity, Lord. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. So let's talk about the context of, of these words here. Because, see, what's happened in the big picture of the Bible, the New Testament, in Acts 11, 27-29, there's a, a prophet named Agabus who comes up to Antioch. And Agabus, God speaks to him, and says to the believers, there's going to be a famine throughout the whole Roman world. That's what's coming down the pipeline. Well, <laughs> years fast forward, right? And suddenly this famine has hit the church, especially in Jerusalem. And the gospel is spreading to the Gentile churches. And these burgeoning Gentile churches, the famine hasn't hit them as severely. They are collecting funds to support the mother church in Jerusalem. So number one, it's an opportunity for these new believers to see themselves as a greater part of the body of Christ. Those people in Jerusalem, they're our brothers and sisters. And God is calling us to, to minister to them. And it is an opportunity to grow in generosity. To have the right priorities. So how about you? How about me? What motivates you to generosity? That's the question I'm going to ask throughout this passage here. What motivates you to generosity? Maybe it's this. The generosity of other believers. If you've been with us through this, this letter, you remember that Paul was up in Macedonia. You know, Corinth is down here, Macedonia is up here in the, in the Greek peninsula in that area. And what's happening is Macedonia is a tough place. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in, in chapter 1, verse 8, that we're up there and we despaired of life itself. That's pretty rough, right? Well, if it was tough for Paul and his crew, it was doubly tough for the Macedonian church. They were experiencing persecution, probably you know, financial isolation. The pressure was on those believers. It was, the pressure was on that church. But in being squeezed, it brought forth the sweetest grace. Verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty Wold up to rich generosity. Well, that's counter, isn't it? That's countercultural. That's counter to an, even our human nature. They're not a wealthy church. They're not even a well-liked church in the area. But God's grace is at work in them. Verse 3. For I testify that they gave as able and even beyond their ability. 
entirely on their own. Paul says, I didn't put them up to this. I didn't set an amount like, you guys should raise this much money. I'm not even sure we even said you should do this. It's just God at work in them, bringing forth the grace of God in them. That's pretty challenging, pretty inspiring. Extreme generosity in people who are stricken by poverty. Look at verse 4. They urgently pled with us for the privilege of sharing. In being in fellowship. The word that's used there is the word koinonia. Perhaps you've heard that word. It is a fellowship. A sense of oneness with other believers. We want to do this. We want to have fellowship in this service to the Lord's people. Paul, we want to join what you're doing. We want to join what the other Gentile churches are doing. We want to join in fellowship with the the Jerusalem church who is suffering right now. We want to have a sense of koinonia, of oneness, of fellowship with them. So this is a right priority, right? Loving people. People. Generosity to the body of Christ in Jerusalem with whom they are one. And managing things they gave out of their poverty, which probably meant they gave sacrificially. They said, I'm going to make a sacrifice. We're just going to eat. We used to eat beans and rice, now we're just going to eat rice. There's something that they were doing to say, we're... We are so encouraged by what God has done. We, we want to give to this. We want to show our love for the believers, our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Verse 5, and they exceeded our expectations. I think that's a subtle understatement. It's a subtle understatement. They gave themselves, now listen to this, this is important. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. It is, it's an act of worship. It's an act of worship saying, God, you are the source of every good and perfect gift I have. You've entrusted me with these things to love our brothers, and so we're going to give. We're going to give, even in the midst of persecution and poverty, because you are first. I worship you. I worship you. We were having a discussion yesterday about integrity. And Jeff Schmall brought up, I believe, uh, Habakkuk, where the, the people of God were charged to rebuild the temple. And after a while, they kind of got tired of that. And they stopped working on the temple, and they started making their houses luxury palaces. They lost their priority. But God was first. And number two, and then by the will of God also to us. Realizing that it was the grace and mercy of Christ to send Paul to Macedonia that they might hear the gospel, that they may respond to him, respond to Christ. I am so encouraged by God's mercy. Even though physically we're suffering, that God made us his own that we want to respond to this. And I imagine Paul's response, it was quite humbling. It's like, you, you people don't have two dimes to rub together. 
and yet you're giving. Wow. Worshiping God, loving people, managing things. How about you and me? (laughs) When we see our brothers and sisters that may have less means than us, give. Give to the kingdom of God. Give to other believers. Maybe we're humbled by that. But maybe we should be encouraged by that. Spurred on to love and good deeds. When we see their generosity, challenging our own generosity. I remember years ago, before it was actually legal to go to Cuba, an American missionary talking about him sitting with some church leaders and they served beef at the table. <laughs> and we're thinking, beef? Man, there's a sale high V. What's the big deal? No, you have to understand, beef was a luxury. And those people probably spent their whole month's grocery bill to provide for that, that meal, for that missionary. In fact, it might have even been illegal. But that's how they wanted to be generous and to spend themselves. I, I don't know if, about you, if you've been overseas with believers, I have found that some of them are much more generous than we are by comparison. Maybe not by amount, but by heart. It's, it's the principle of the widow's might where Jesus sees her throw in a couple coins and in comparison he says, you know, these folks are throwing in tons of money. By comparison, she's given more because she's given all that she had. That's challenging, isn't it? But does it encourage us to generosity? Does it challenge us to generosity? Does it stir up within us generosity? What motivates you to be generous? It's this. It's the generosity of Christ Himself. Look at verse 6. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a, a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Remember, if you were with us last week, Paul sent Titus to kind of be his mediator, his liaison for the the conflict that was going on between him and the church in Corinth. But also not, also that, but also to follow up on the grace of generosity that God had actually already started in the Corinthians a year beforehand. We're going to see that here in a minute. But God had been generous with this church, and it was not just financially. God had poured out His blessing on this church. And it manifested itself in other gifts. Look at verse 7. Since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge. Because of that, actually, I think some of those giftings made them a bit arrogant towards the Apostle Paul. They loved flexing their gifts and their muscles. and They weren't necessarily always in a place to hear from Paul. In complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you. Listen to this. See also that you excel in the grace of giving. 
God has been so gracious to you, Corinthians. He's gifted you. He's given you abilities. He's given you spiritual gifts. And you excel. Here's what I want you to remember. That those things are to be used to worship God, love people, and manage things. Excel those things and excel in the grace of giving. It's the principle Jesus brought out in Luke chapter 12, verse 48. To whom much is given, much is expected. You've got some gifts and abilities. You've got some resources. There's an expectation that you'll use those for the kingdom of God, not just for yourself. And our, our generosity can be energized when we just realize how gracious God has been. Have you ever been to a, a Thanksgiving service here? Anyone? What's cool about that service? You start realizing how gracious, how generous God has been with our people, with this church. Doesn't it make you want to be generous? Doesn't it want to make you grateful? This is what Paul's saying. God's generosity is not limited just to finances, it's gifting, it's abilities, it's service. And let me say, I think it's true of this church. I think God has gifted us tremendously. He's gifted to so many of you. I'm so grateful for God, how God has gifted us, gifted you. But it's not just those gifts. There's a financial aspect here. And Corinth was a wealthy port town where a lot of commerce came through. A lot of money flowing through there. And they were probably a little bit insulated from the famine that was going on. It's kind of like Rochester in some ways. We're insulated from a lot of the economic downturns just because of the Mayo Clinic and just how business... we got people coming here all the time. People will always be sick. It's job security, I guess. But we're insulated. They were insulated. And he said, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test your, test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with earnestness, the earnestness of others. Listen, I, I don't want to use my apostolic authority to ask you to be generous. But I do want to call your attention to what's happening up in Macedonia. Look at those people. They don't have half of what you have. And yet they're being generous. Look at what God has done to be gracious to you. Does it not, want, does it not cause you to want to be generous? And then Paul goes to talk about God's ultimate generosity in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. You see, the ultimate expression of God's generosity is in sending the Lord Jesus Christ. The ultimate expression of God's generosity is in sending the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we as a race, and you, if you've been here you know this, but I want to remind you of it. 
We as a race have rebelled against the living God. We've all chosen to do our own things, whether it's high-handed or under the table, but we've insisted upon doing it our own way. And God, as a righteous judge, has to punish that. We are guilty. He needs to bring justice to that. And here's the worst part. There's nothing we can do about it. But God, who is rich in mercy, He sends His Son. He not only sends His Son, He just doesn't beam Him down like Star Trek. He is born into this world. And He's born into a world of hurt. And He is not exempt of that. He's born in a barn, literally. And an oppressed people. And He comes and lives this life perfectly under injustice. And He goes willingly to a painful death, humiliating death. Literally, He becomes a curse for you and me to take upon Himself the penalty that you and I deserve for our rebellion against Him. But then you know the rest of the story also, don't you? That He rises from the dead to conquer a foe that you and I can't conquer and to ascend to the right hand of God the Father. And now... The choice is ours. By faith, there's a gift there that's laying. Will you accept? Will you put on what Jesus has done for you by faith? To give you right relationship with God. That you might be reconciled. That you might be redeemed and bought back. That you might have life in Him. You might have eternal life in Him. That you might have an eternal inheritance. That you might have a future where your body that is decaying right now will be resurrected and made perfect. And so much more. God has been generous. He's been generous with you and with me. The question is, will we receive it? Will we respond? It's what Paul said earlier in this same letter. Chapter 5, verse 19. God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And He has committed to us, we who are His followers, the message of reconciliation. Maybe you've heard that acrostic of grace. God's, G, riches are at a Christ's expense. E. We, by His poverty, where He entered into this world, have been made rich by Him and what He's given us in offering Himself to come live in our hearts. And here's what I want to tell you. If you've not yet put your faith in Christ, I'm so glad you're here. And I want to let you know that He is offering up His gift to you right now. Right now. And I want to tell you, He doesn't give a rip about your money right now. Honestly. You can't buy your way into heaven. There's no way we can bribe our way. It's what He has done. It's His expense. What He wants is your heart. What He wants is your belief to put your faith in what He has done, to receive His extreme generosity 
and for you to surrender being in control and let him come and change you. It does not mean your, your life becomes perfect. No. But it means that he starts to change you and make you his own and use you and get your priorities right of worshiping God, loving people, and managing resources. That's what he wants to do. He wants to give you his life. Again, his extreme generosity. Romans 5.8 God demonstrates his own love toward us. And while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. We're shaking our fist at God. He says, I'm willing to go and pay the price. But it's, again, by faith. That is out there for you. But you're the one who has to respond. John chapter 1 Verse 12 says, to as many as received him, even those who believe in his name, when we say believe in his name, we're believing in his life, death, and resurrection, and the future that he has in his return. To put your faith in that, and that he can come and change you. To those who believe in his name, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. (laughs) God is offering you a generous gift today. Maybe you want to receive that today. And I'm going to pray for you at the end of this message. But I want you to know that God is generous. He wants to give to you today. For the rest of us, let's receive that generosity as well. And understand that there's no way we're repaying God. There's no way we're going to outgive Him. It's not happening. But he gives us the privilege to be a part of his generosity to this world and making known that gift. And it should spur us on to generosity. What motivates you to be generous? Is it the generosity of Christ? Number three, how about this? The completion of a generosity goal. Verse 10. Here's my judgment about what is best for you in this manner. Last year you were the first, not only to give, but also to even have the desire to do so. Now, finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to one but one does not have. The truth of the matter is that God had planted this idea in the Corinthians a year before. Hey, there's a famine going on in Jerusalem. Let's take an offering. Let's have a capital campaign and send them a love gift. But you know what happens? Life. Life. Conflict with Paul. Maybe some conflict in the church. And all of a sudden the The love gift, the little thermometer that should be going up every week just kind of stays there, right? And some of us love that. We love to see that visual advancement, right? When we get behind a project, the God is doing something. One of the coolest things just recently is even just the raising of the money for the new doors down here. I love it that some of the folks that have disability can can push a button and they can be in in our building. It's awesome. That was great. But you know what? Sometimes these projects are not like a barn raising where it just gets done in a day. 
Sometimes it takes longer. There are some projects. Some things that maybe you want to see happen and we would like to see happen. And we get to invest in something that is bigger than ourselves. If you're looking for an opportunity, let me just tell you some things that are coming down the pipeline. We're sending a team to the Republic this year. Hey, you can go and buy some coffee. Support that ministry. Number two, uh, the, one of the missionary families that we support, the Kasis, they've lost support. Maybe you want to get behind that. Maybe you want to say, hey, hey, I can, I can help fill what you guys have lost. Maybe that's how God is asking you to be generous and help move the needle, if you will. And you get the score every week in your bulletin about where we're at financially. And folks, I don't get paid more or less depending on the offering. It's the same every week. But that money goes to supporting missionaries, to outreach, to keeping the lights on, to just doing business in the kingdom of God. We're a little behind. I don't know if you've noticed. So maybe God is urging you to generosity to move the needle in that way. But here's also something I want to tell you. Look at verse 12 again. The gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. We're not asking you to give what you don't have. No one's asking you to go into debt for the church or the kingdom of God. And maybe it'll take some pressure off of some of you who, who have been generous, who do see the deficit and say, man, like, I just want to give a little bit more. But now it's like you're redlining it with your budget. If that's you, the pressure is off. God is not calling you to give what you do not have. So just know that. Let this pass. Let this be a relief to you. On the other hand, I would say if we're being more generous with ourselves to the point where we cannot be generous with the kingdom of God, maybe we need to reevaluate. How are we doing in worshiping God, loving people, and managing things. Maybe we need to go back and evaluate that. What kind of a steward are you and I being with those things? And if you have committed to some sort of a faith goal, maybe you've been doing a, a maybe you came to this church and you still need to pay off from a building campaign from the old church. I encourage you to follow through with that. Follow through with your commitment to the Lord, because ultimately that's the one you're giving yourself to. Not just individual projects. You're giving yourself to the Lord. But maybe you're motivated by kind of a faith campaign or generosity campaign. Last of all, what motivates you to be generous maybe is the needs of other believers in the body. Verse 13. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed. That there... Well, you are hard-pressed. Not but that there might be equality. I want you to not misconstrue this. This is not a call to socialism. Okay? It's not where wealth is collected and then redistributed. Rather, it is one part of the body of Christ helping another part of the body of Christ meet a need. In this particular case... It is a severe famine in Jerusalem. 
people are not able to eat. And the church in Corinth has resources, and they can help. That's what's happening. One part of the body of Christ in Corinth is helping out another part of the body in Jerusalem. And by the way, the Corinthians benefited from what the church of Jerusalem sent in the person of Paul and others from that church. So there was an exchange. But that's what's going on here. And let me tell you, I am, I'm proud of Berean Community Church and some of the ways we've been able to come alongside of other churches. Not proud of, look at us. But in the, in the sense of, yeah, that's where these funds should be going. One of the things that impressed me when I was candidating is that this church helped build a church in Henry, Haiti, years ago. And we still have a relationship with them. We still try and come alongside of them. We've come alongside MEG, which is a, a ministry to Africa in the Democratic Republic of Congo. We've helped them build a, a children's center, or I should say a, a women's shelter. That's a need. And also years ago, a friend of mine who was a missionary in the Philippines, and a tsunami came. I don't know if you remember that. It was probably about five or six years ago. And I said, hey, my brother AC is there with the churches here. Could we come along and support that? And you were generous. You gave, and that brought relief to that church in the Philippines. Locally, even. We've contributed to Bear Creek. I don't know if you know where that's at, but it's where the old Crossroads College campus is. And their commitment to creating affordable housing, to use that as a, as a platform for salt and life. We gave to that. We as a church gave to that. Not to pat ourselves on the back, uh-uh. But we saw a need, and it motivated us to generosity. What motivates you to generosity? There are going to be other opportunities. But the needs oftentimes are met of one part of the body to another. You know who I pity the most? Christians who divorce themselves from the church. Because they're divorcing themselves of how Jesus wants to meet them so often because they will not be a part of the body. Jesus often meets us where one part of the body meets a need for another part of the body. And here's the truth for all of us. If you're a follower of Christ, we have benefited off the generosity of others for us to even be here today. Whether that was a financial investment for this property, or whether it was time, or love, or teaching invested in us, or just giving of time in our lives. It was a gift of, of generosity to get you and me here. There are men and women who invested in your pastor you will never know. But you are beneficiaries of that generosity because they invested themselves generously where the body was meeting one need on another part of the body. So here we're at the end, and maybe this will be a little anticlimactic. I'm not going to give you some things to give to financially. I'm not going to give you little suggestions. We're going to be talking about this for two more weeks. <laughs> we're gonna go, oh, great, Pastor. But two more weeks. The question I really want you to wrestle with is, 
Lord, am I generous? Am I generous in your eyes? Am I worshiping you? Am I loving people? Am I managing the things you've given me? I want to ask the question, do you want to be generous? If you're a follower of Christ, do you want to be generous? Do you want to have Jesus' heart for this world, for his kingdom, for eternity? And maybe your response in prayer needs to be, Lord, make me generous. Help me take some little steps in that direction where I am worshiping you, where I am loving people, where I am managing the things that you've given me. Not to give what you don't have, but to say, this is important enough for me to invest myself in it. God wants to give us His generous priorities. Again, to love God, worship God, love people, and manage things. And so we're going to end with a word of praise about the goodness of God. So, Aaron, will you bring the worship team up here? And let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, indeed, you have been so kind and generous to you, to us. And um, we want to emulate you. Father, we want to emulate you in having sent your Son for us. We want to worship you as our first priority. We want to love men and women who you made in your image, who need you desperately who are our brothers sometimes, who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We want to meet the needs in your body and we want to handle the things that you've given us rightly. We want to manage them in a godly way. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and trust you're going to add all these things to us. We say thank you for your goodness. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.